So how is everybody? Talk to me. I'm not your mother. Keep telling people that. If my mother spoke to me in an audible voice, I'd be very worried. She'd been with Jesus for a long time. So, uh, Life is very busy, isn't it? Life is very hectic for many of us. And we kind of, I mean, I can't believe, you know, literally you wake up and it's Monday morning, you go to bed and it's Friday night. You know, it's, that's how the weeks feel. It's literally, that's quick. And uh, life is very hectic. Um, I have been challenging myself and I've been challenged of the last probably 12, maybe 18 months um, to begin to reassess why we say stuff, why we use particular words, why we become comfortable with saying stuff that most people who don't know what we believe or believe what we believe, listen to what we say and think, what are they even talking about? They look, like, they look at us like we were either born on a different planet or maybe should go and live on a different planet, maybe. Um, so a couple of months ago when I was here speaking last, if you remember my little three blocks that I spoke about in terms of calling and uh, talked about the fact that calling is not vacation, it's not function, but it's something that we are all engaged in, in terms of the fact we are called, each one of us, to be like Jesus. Remember we talked about that. And uh, it's been very interesting as we've been traveling around. It seems like that's a message which increasingly is beginning to, not because I've been preaching, because I haven't been preaching many of these places, but uh, as we've been going and attending, it's as if God's saying to people, you need to understand who you are, who you are, who you are. And well, I think God's emphasizing and putting his kind of punctuation mark at the point of saying you need to understand this again and then the other thing that I'm beginning to understand is the whole thing of why we worship now I'm going to say stuff today and I'm going to say make phrases that some of you are going to think I'm actually being critical and I'm not being critical of anybody because I do it myself I love to say and better come stand here because I mean because I mean this morning, and I sat there, and I said to Bridget, I said, Anne's going to say, or Arvel's going to say at some point in time, we're going to come to a time of worship. Do we know what we said by that? Do we know what we mean by that? Now, I'm not trying to be controversial. Well, I am being controversial, but I mean, I'm not planning to be controversial. But actually, what do we actually imply by that? Because we say it very easily. She's lovely, I tell you. <laughs> if I could adopt anybody twice, I'd adopt Anne anyway. We, we say we're going to have a time of worship, as if, as if, as if, just as if. Worship is something that we do when we come here. Now, in John's Gospel, chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at the well, the woman of Samaria, we read about her. She was a woman of some area, but not a very large woman, if you understand what I'm saying, you know. Oh, come on. Oh, it's in all, the old ones are the good ones. I mean, trust me. Mind you, talk about that. I, I listened to a message by Billy Graham that I love this. So I've got to share this. He was invited to go and preach somewhere. Uh, and, and apparently, not him, somebody's invited to go preach somewhere and speak at this convention. And the chairman of the meeting said, well, we're introducing so-and-so to speak, and you know, for the next 20 minutes, he's going to tell us about X, Y, and Z, and so on. Well, 20 minutes passed, 
40 minutes passed, 60 minutes passed, and the chairman, out of desperation, thinking, now how do I stop this guy from doing such, took the gavel and threw it at the speaker. He missed, and he hit the lady on the front row. And as, when, he, when it hit her, she said, hit me again, he's still speaking, you know. <laughs> I like stories like that. Anyway, got nothing to do with what I'm talking about this morning, but anyway, I love stories like that. We say we got to come to worship. What do we mean by that? Now, Jesus meets the woman at the well, and actually he says, woman, the time is coming and has now come. Now, I'm not going to read the whole scripture because I don't have time for that. But when you read this passage, there's a whole discourse. It starts off by Jesus being thirsty. He comes to a well. He meets the woman. She's drawing water. He asks her to give her water. She says, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Why would you even talk to me? We don't even actually have racial uh, integration between us. We actually are two different kinds of people. Apart from that, you're a man and I'm a woman, in case you hadn't noticed. And then he says, woman, if you asked me, I would give you water. That would mean you'd never thirst again. She said, well, that, that would be kind of cool. I mean, I'd never have to come out and get water out of this pit anymore, out of this well anymore. And then they begin to speak about her life, about stuff, about where they should worship or what religion should look like. And she says, well, you know, you say we should worship. Yeah, we say we should worship there. Jesus cuts right across the conversation, and you know what he says. He says, woman, the time is coming and has now come, Bruce, when God is going to be looking for people who will worship him in spirit and truth. He actually uses the phrase, says, God will look for true worshipers. Now, (laughs) it's an interesting thought. If there could be true worshipers, Marvel, there could be a different form of worship otherwise why say true if it was just a generic term for everything is in the same basket why say true as opposed to not true or false and I've been thinking about this a heck of a lot because I think well where do we understand this thing reading the stories of three so-called wise men, who, by the way, they weren't three and they were not kings, just FYI, who actually come to follow what they first see as a star which manifests a, an event that was hugely going to impact the human race or mankind because a king was being born. And we've seen his star in the east, they say, and we've come to worship him, is what they say to Herod, who is in Jerusalem, because they're seeking for a person who they believe is going to be significant. We've come to worship him. Now, just going to say this, but it's the truth. If worship was a song, they'd been a pop group. They would have had a number one hit called We Three Kings from Orientar. <laughs> and they would have arrived there with their entourage and all sorts of things and set up. But actually, we'll look at it in a moment or two, but worship is not that. Because when they say we've come to worship him, Herod says, when you find him, come back to me after and I'll also go and worship him. And the last thing on earth that Herod thought about doing was come saying, oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. 
iPhone. That's the truth, isn't it? So what is true worship? What is the face of worship? And how long have we got? 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes? As Nick will tell you, because these thoughts began to percolate out of my little brain in my heart a few months ago. And he said, I hope you're going to preach to the rock. I said, well, I won't preach anything that isn't a living in me. Well, this has not got worse or less. It's got more. It's got better. What is true worship? What is the face of worship? In our world today, and by the way, we are touching churches all around the Midlands towards this big event later next year. Uh, and I'm asking myself, what is the face of worship or a worshipful church in today's ecosystem? Some years ago, there was a big uh, uh, 40-foot uh, advertising board, one of the, you know, these kind of where you drive past, the big advertising boards in, in one of the cities. And actually, it had a picture of uh, the home of Manchester United. I only say that because I have to mention that I'm a Liverpool supporter, but that's okay. Uh, you know, I know Arvel's a blue supporter, but I've forgiven him a long time ago as well. He, he's allowed to be wrong as well, by the way. Uh, but actually, on this huge advertising hoarding was our place of worship. I don't know if you remember that. It was about the 90s, I think it was. Our place of worship. And actually, you know what? I was right. What does the face of worship look like? What does worship really mean? Let me, let me say, read you a few quotes. Now, some of these people you may or may not have heard of before, but I think these are important. Worship is the right response to God. Now, by the way, the very first verse of the very first book in the Bible starts by this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Worship is the understanding of the origin and also the author of all things. It's the right response to God. Worship is the practice or our practice for eternity. Now, if your worship ends when your song concludes, you actually have a problem because I promise you one thing, we're not gonna sing any of the songs we sang this morning in heaven. <sighs> sacrilege, copyright. We're not. What we're going to sing is a song that actually understands who God is and why in all of creation what we bring him, and we'll talk about that, is not just a tuneful expression of love, but a deep understanding of personhood, who he is. By the way, at the risk of sounding critical about songwriters, and by the way, some of you may or may not know, that's what I used to do for many years of my life, recording records, traveling around the world and so on. But around about the mid-80s, 90s, correct me if I'm wrong, the kind of praise and worship genre began to gain traction. There was people in America, people in New Zealand originally, people in America and so on. And praise and worship music began to become almost like a brand. In fact, it is a brand these days. In fact, there are music awards for praise and worship music as an idiom. No problem with that? Great. But it strikes me as, in, as interesting that most of the reasons why Christians have sung for the last centuries or so has not been to try to sing about themselves, but actually to put into song the theology 
that actually would grow them spiritually. Is that the truth? Anybody agree with me? So if our singing is purely for self-gratification, I promise you we're not going to be doing that in heaven. Just FYI. So worship is our practice for eternity. Worship arises from our correct, our right priorities. By the way, these are the first three lines of my notes. I've got lots I could say about this, but I'm going to restrict this. But it arises from our right priorities. In other words, understanding the right order of things in our lives. Okay, Worship is something that we as human beings, if you're a human being this morning, say yes. Some of you are not sure. Okay, how much is that doggy in the window? You're also welcome. Okay, it's something that we desperately need to do. It's something arises out of us because actually we all need an identity with someone or something or some being, whatever it is, to worship. If you don't believe me, track humankind. Go right back. I've done a study on this. You can do it for yourself. And you can go back to the folks in, in the Mayan Indians. You can go to Egypt. You can go to the Far East and so on. And there is a desperate desire to worship. So when Jesus says to the woman at the well, woman, the time is coming and it's now come. And it wasn't a now moment for that day. It is a now moment because of who she was speaking to. When the true worshiper will worship in spirit and truth, the person who he was speaking about was not some futuristic hope still, but he was a present tense individual. Amen. So worship arises from a right priority and actually understanding, hold on a minute, there's an order of things which actually puts God first. Anyway, so what is true worship? I believe that God is teaching us or calling us to understand that Satan has plagiarized or counterfeit, counterfeited, counterfeit, what's the word? Counterfeit. Come on, you English people, I'm African. Counterfeit, but that doesn't fit. Counterfeit. Satan has caused us to accept a counterfeit, anyway, you know what I'm saying. Anyway, that actually at times is really close to the real thing in terms of look and feel and consequence, we think. But it's not. Why? Because it actually has no eternal value. It is actually flesh to flesh, and you've heard me talk about this before, but actually it's got very little to do with spirit to spirit. And flesh to flesh is actually from your mouth to my ear, my mouth to your ear. Oh, it feels good. But actually, spirit to spirit, Jack Hayford, some of you may have heard of him, he wrote a song called Majesty, Worship His Majesty many years ago. Jack Hayford said this, worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one being worshiped. Worship changes the worshiper. Any worshipers you had this morning? So I'll give you time. I know it's a hard thing to raise your arm. It's a, it takes a, okay. Worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one being worshipped. Just got to ask Oliver this question. 
you know, sorry, counsellors, I, 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 I get personal to myself, so that's okay, I hope you don't mind me. I'm just, I'm not a traditional kind of standalone, standing pulpit kind of, I like to talk to people. I have three daughters, I had to talk to them, otherwise they'd never have listened to me, so, you know. <laughs> that's the question. If the act of worship, quote unquote, that I think I've engaged in has left me unchanged, was it worship? Ah, listen, don't, don't answer me. I'm asking you the question for myself. So, in the scripture we find a lot of, a, a lot, a lot of evidence or a lot of kind of uh, uh, examples of this change thing that I'm talking about. Now, you may or may not be interested to know that the first reference to worship in the whole Bible occurs in the life of a man called Abraham. Genesis chapter 18. And in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham, who by the way, he'd done a lot of stuff already. God had already been dealing in his life. He'd already left Ur in the Chaldeans. He'd already done also, he'd already become the father of Ishmael. There was a lot that happened in his life. He'd won battles, he'd done things. But actually, on a certain day, he's sitting outside of his tent, and he sees three heavenly visitors approaching. Now, I don't know, I could get into this, but I'm not gonna get into this morning. Who were those visitors? I have an opinion, you may have an opinion, but actually, let's just take what the Bible says. He says these three beings, these three angelic beings. He recognizes them as the Lord, they're coming towards him. The word that the Bible says in Genesis chapter 18, and as they approach him, the Bible says, Abraham worshiped. S-H-A-C-H-A-H, shaka. Literally, that word is translated in your Bible as he bowed low to the ground. It doesn't say he sat up and said, welcome to my world, won't you come on in? He didn't sing them a song. Okay, that's fine. Perry Coma, wasn't it? No, I'm not sure. He didn't sing them a song. Actually, he took on the posture, the face of complete prostrating himself on the ground. And by the way, that same word, but now in a different language, occurs in the book, uh, in the New Testament, when Paul talks to the, 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 the believers and he says, worship means to prostrate yourself to actually lay yourself before someone. Now, when Abraham sees his visitors come, he prostrates himself before them and he says, stay with me, stay with me, don't go, let me feed you, let me, let me show you how much you mean to me. Kill this, bring that, wife do this, wife do that. And they have this thing because actually there was value in their presence. So I'm gonna say this to us this morning. I'm gonna say this to Oliver and I'm gonna say to Bridget and I'm gonna say to anyone else that it might apply to. Worship starts by a posture that prostrates us in the presence of God, not out of fear, not. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, he says, I beseech you, I beg you, I adjure you, 
people of God, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. This is your reasonable worship. The word worship there is not the same word as here. The worship there is referring to the fact that you will present yourselves to God as willing to serve him, knowing he will reward you. That's what the word means. It's a different word. But the word in Genesis actually says he prostrated himself. Now, once he prostrated himself, the Bible goes on and he says to his wife in the 22nd chapter, God has spoken to me. The God who I worship has now spoken to me. And now in chapter 22 of Genesis, he says, he has called me to take our son, our one and only son, Isaac, and to sacrifice him. And so Abraham on that particular day, together with his son Isaac, and I again, in reading the scriptures and trying to do the, the, the timeline, to me, Isaac was not like this. Isaac was like this, okay? He was fully, he was, we don't know his age exactly, but we do know when Abraham became a father, we know when Sarah became a mother, and we actually know that it was a good time after that just in reading the chronology. But anyway, they go for a few days' journey. They come to a particular point in their journey. Abraham turns to his servants and says, you guys stay here. Myself and the lad or the boy, now if you're 120 some odd years age, you're going to call anybody a boy, you know, are going to go and use this word. And again, the same word occurs, and we are going to worship, shaka. So worship starts with this prostrating, prostrating. I said to my wife, I'm going to do that. That's an uncomfortable worship, I tell you that right now. Starts with actually this, laying of yourself before God, but then actually saying, and now I am going to give God everything. And he says to his son, let's go and worship. And his son says to his father, hey dad, I get it, but listen, he has wood, there's a knife, there's even thing to make fire with. We're short of something here. <laughs> and Abraham says, God will provide. God will provide. And they go, and actually an altar is built. It's set with the wood. And Abraham says, Isaac, you're it. Because this is what God requires if we're going to worship. See, worship can't ever be cheap, guys can't be cheap you can't sing I surrender all and then go and live like didn't matter just because you sung it doesn't mean it isn't a prayer or it isn't a surrender Isaac was on the, the altar and Abraham is about to do the unthinkable actually and God says withhold your hand do not slay your son because I now know that you will do, you will obey me, you will worship me in spirit and in truth. And then there's a lamb, a ram rather than a thicket and the, the, the rest happens. But then it goes on to say, but Abraham saw my day. Abraham saw what this meant. Jesus said that and he rejoiced. Why? Because actually the act of prostrating himself, 
led to an act of surrender and of sacrifice that led to a moment of salvation. Now, I'm going to finish with this, and I, by far, I promise you, I could do five weeks on this at this point in time because it's become obsessive with me because we've missed something here. Not you and me, us, we, all of us. I've heard people say it over the last few weeks, oh, we love this church because the worship is fantastic. I almost said, eh. but I didn't do that, did I? Because I think we've missed it. And if the worship isn't good, are we leaving? We're going to go find a church where there's better worship. And we think that worship is on a Sunday morning when worship is actually when you're standing on the shop floor serving people because you know, as Paul writes in Romans, that your act of worship is knowing that you're serving God in a way that he will reward you by virtue of his seeing your attitude, which is daily to live for him. Take you one more picture and then I'll finish. Come with me into a garden called Gethsemane. Bridget just led us in communion. I don't understand this. Listen, by the way, I think if anybody doesn't applaud this church, heaven does this morning. Well done, guys. It's amazing. You've done an amazing job. I don't know how many years we've actually been coming to this church or the previous church, which this church grew out of. And so on. But I, I stand amazed by this. And every year, the generosity is its crazy. It's fantastic. Well done. It's so good that my wife said, got to go because it's toy Sunday. And, you know, she brought my scale electric set this year. I mean, I, no, she didn't. I'm just joking. But let me take you to a garden. The garden of Gethsemane. I've never seen this in the light that I see it for these days. Do you know the ultimate act of worship in the life of Jesus started in the garden of Gethsemane? Have you ever thought about that? Father, I'm going to worship you. You see, we think about worship as if it's something God needs to build his ego. I talk to people all the time in our warm hub, non-Christian. I have lots of friends who are not Christians. I have friends who are atheists. I love atheists. They've got more faith than I do. They do. They really do. Because I say to them, you know, oh, there's no God. I say, how do you know? There's no God. They said, you have faith. Said, do you ever have any doubts? I said, man, I have, listen, sometimes I have my own questions. I said, God, I don't understand this. Atheists don't have any doubts. You know, when you're dead, you're dead. So I love talking to them because actually, I don't imbibe the atheism but I say to them, you know what, the certainty that you have, I believe you can have in eternity with God. I know that. Sometimes I can't prove it, but I know that. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is there, and he says to his disciples, he says, you stay here, I've got to go a bit further to pray. It's a very similar picture, isn't it, to Abraham and his servants. And he takes Peter, James, and John, and he says, come a little bit further with me, and they follow him and he says, listen, there's business to be done. Pray, you pray. I'm gonna go a bit further and pray, but you pray. And Jesus begins to pray like he says, Father, not my will. It's not what I want. It's not what I would choose, but your will be done. Now, if you ever wanna see a picture of what it looks like to prostrate yourself, 
before the purposes of heaven for eternity. There it is. This is not kind of like, you know, roll out the, ba- the, 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 you know, the, the barrel kind of, you know, let's, you know, this is cool, you know. Go to a church where they say our worship's going to start with that prayer would be a challenge to some people. I had a very good friend of mine years by ago, you would have heard of him, Colin Urquhart. Did you know they stopped singing in church? Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah. They said our singing's got in the way of our worship. And they had some of the best worship leaders, so-called worship leaders, in the country, in the church. And they come together and said, unless we've done business with God, we daren't sing a song. Wow, that's kind of like, that's radical, Colin. And actually, as they began to rediscover the purpose of God, they began to sing the purpose of God, and the purpose of God began to make their worship of God the face of God that God could say, that's what I'm looking for. Because it was changing them as much as it was actually them singing about it. Father, not my will, but your will be done. There was no hand at that point in time saying, no, no, okay, it can end here. In fact, the place of prostrating himself on the ground before his father, weeping as it were, sweating as it were, Bible says, even like blood itself pouring from him. Didn't end there, but it led to sacrifice. <laughs> here's wood, there's an altar, where's the lamb? John the Baptist said, here's the lamb. He's called the lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus is put on a cross. We know that because the Bible recounts that. And by the way, historically, there are things that we take about as factual history that are harder to prove than the death and resurrection of Jesus. And if you want to take time, I can show that to you. It's the truth. Historically, it's, you know, but he's hung on a cross. Complete surrender, total sacrifice leads to salvation. See, worship is not something that we do to engage ourselves in some kind of spiritual activity or ritual. They're great. They're lovely. It's not to do some kind of Christian uh, theological or, or, or exercise of liturgy. You know, we have a liturgy. Got to keep the liturgy. I would. I really do, forgive me, I'm going to just say this because I believe it. I wish sometimes we'd have the courage to wrap up our liturgy and find ourselves on our face before God until we come to a place of complete surrender. Just saying. Because that leads to a place of salvation. That leads to a place of transformation. A.W. Tozer, one more quote. A.W. Tozer, again, if you've never heard of him, I do apologize. I'm not trying to quote people to make me sound clever, but he was a guy who could put things in a way that I certainly couldn't. He says, any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship. Now I'm talking about worship not as a song. Do you understand that? Is not ready for heaven. 
So, so that would sell. That wouldn't actually. That would make me say, "Ouch!" Sometimes. Any man or woman who is on earth who is turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. It is the pleasing of God that is at the heart of worship. And for such the Father seeks. Thank you for giving me a